This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of Morella by Edgar Allan Poe. It's read by Wayne June. It runs 17 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward. Edgar Allan Poe Read by Wayne June Afto hath afto meth aftu Mono iides ai on Itself, by itself, solely One everlasting and single Plato Symposium With a feeling of deep yet most singular affection, I regarded my friend Morella. Thrown by accident into her society many years ago, my soul from our first meeting burned with fires it had never known before. But the fires were not of Eros, and bitter and tormenting to my spirit was the gradual conviction that I could in no manner define their unusual meaning or regulate their vague intensity. Yet we met, and fate bound us together at the altar, and I never spoke of passion nor thought of love. She, however, shunned society, and attaching herself to me alone, rendered me happy. It is a happiness to wonder. It is a happiness to dream. Morella's erudition was profound, as I hoped to live her talents were of no common order. Her powers of mind were gigantic. I felt this, and in many matters became her pupil. I soon, however, found that, perhaps on account of her Pressburg education, she placed before me a number of those mystical writings which are usually considered the mere dross of the early German literature. These, for what reason I could not imagine, were her favorite and constant study and that in process of time they became my own, should be attributed to the simple but effectual influence of habit and example. In all this, if I err not, my reason had little to do. My convictions, or I forget myself, were in no manner acted upon by the ideal, nor was any tincture of the mysticism which I read to be discovered, unless I am greatly mistaken, either in my deeds or in my thoughts. Persuaded of this, 
I abandoned myself implicitly to the guidance of my wife, and entered with an unflinching heart into the intricacies of her studies. And then, then when, poring over forbidden pages, I felt the forbidden spirit enkindling within me, would Morella place her cold hand upon my own, and rake up from the ashes of a dead philosophy some low, singular words whose strange meaning burned themselves in upon my memory. And then hour after hour I would linger by her side, and dwell upon the music of her voice, until at length its melody was tainted with terror, and there fell a shadow upon my soul, and I grew pale and shuddered inwardly at those two unearthly tones. And thus joy suddenly faded into horror, and the most beautiful became the most hideous, as Hinnom became Gehenna. It is unnecessary to state the exact character of those disquisitions which, growing out of the volumes I have mentioned, formed for so long a time almost the sole conversation of Morella and myself. By the learned in what might be termed theological morality, they will be readily conceived, and by the unlearned they would, at all events, be little understood. The wild pantheism of Fichte the modified Palinianesia of the Pythagoreans, and above all the doctrines of identity as urged by Schelling were generally the points of discussion presenting the most of beauty to the imaginative Morella. That identity which is termed personal, Mr. Locke, I think, truly defines to consist in the sameness of rational being, and since by person we understand an intelligent essence having reason, and since there is a consciousness which always accompanies thinking, it is this which makes us all to be that which we call ourselves, thereby distinguishing us from other beings that think, and giving us our personal identity. But the principium individuationis, the notion of that identity which at death is or is not lost forever, was to me at all times, a consideration of intense interest, not more from the perplexing and exciting nature of its consequences than from the marked and agitated manner in which Morella mentioned them. But, indeed, the time had now arrived when the mystery of my wife's manner oppressed me as a spell. I could no longer bear the touch of her wan fingers, nor the low tone of her musical language, nor the luster of her melancholy eyes, and she knew all this, but did not upbraid. She seemed conscious of my weakness or my folly, and, smiling, called it fate. She seemed also conscious of a cause to me unknown for the gradual alienation of my regard, but she gave me no hint or token of its nature. Yet was she woman, and pined away daily. In time— the crimson spot settled steadily upon the cheek, and the blue veins upon the pale forehead became prominent. At one instant my nature melted into pity, but in the next I met the glance of her meaning eyes, and then my soul sickened and became giddy with the giddiness of one who gazes downward into some dreary and unfathomable abyss. Shall I then say that I longed with an earnest and consuming desire for the moment of Morella's decease? I did. 
But the fragile spirit clung to its tenement of clay for many days, for many weeks, and irksome months, until my tortured nerves obtained the mastery over my mind, and I grew furious through delay, and with the heart of a fiend cursed the days and the hours and the bitter moments, which seemed to lengthen and lengthen as her gentle life declined, like the shadows in the dying of the day. But one autumnal evening, when the winds lay still in heaven, Morella called me to her bedside. There was a dim mist over all the earth, and a warm glow upon the waters, and amid the rich October leaves of the forest a rainbow from the firmament had surely fallen. It is a day of days, she said as I approached, a day of all days either to live or die. It is a fair day for the sons of earth and life, more fair for the daughters of heaven and death. I kissed her forehead, and she continued, I am dying, yet shall I live. Morella, the days have never been where thou couldst love me, but her whom in life thou didst abhor, in death thou shalt adore. Morella, I repeat, I am dying, but within me is a pledge of that affection. How little which thou didst feel for me, Morella, and when my spirit departs, shall the child live, thy child and mine, Morella's. But thy days shall be days of sorrow, that sorrow which is the most lasting of impressions, as the cypress is the most enduring of trees. For the hours of thy happiness are over, and joy is not gathered twice in a life, as the roses of Piestum twice in a year. Thou shalt no longer, then, play the Tian with time, but being ignorant of the myrtle and the vine, thou shalt bear about with thee thy shroud on the earth, as do the Moslemin at Mecca. Morella, I cried, Morella, how knowest thou this? But she turned away her face upon the pillow, and a slight tremor coming over her limbs, she thus died, and I heard her voice no more. Yet as she had foretold her child, to which in dying she had given birth, which breathed not until the mother breathed no more. Her child, a daughter, lived. And she grew strangely in stature and intellect, and was the perfect resemblance of her who had departed. And I loved her with a love more fervent than I had believed it possible to feel for any denizen of earth. But ere long the heaven of this pure affection became darkened, and gloom and horror and grief swept over it in clouds. I said the child grew strangely in stature and intelligence. Strange indeed was her rapid increase in bodily size. But terrible, terrible were the tumultuous thoughts which crowded upon me while watching the development of her mental being. Could it be otherwise, when I daily discovered in the conceptions of the child the adult powers and faculties of the woman, when the lessons of experience fell from the lips of infancy, when the wisdom or the passions of maturity I found hourly gleaming from its full and speculative eye. When, I say, all this became evident to my appalled senses, when I could no longer hide it from my soul, nor throw it off from those perceptions which trembled to receive it. 
Is it to be wondered at that suspicions of a nature fearful and exciting crept in upon my spirit, or that my thoughts fell back, aghast upon the wild tales and thrilling theories of the entombed Morella? I snatched from the scrutiny of the world a being whom destiny compelled me to adore, and in the rigorous seclusion of my home, watched with an agonizing anxiety over all which concerned the beloved. And as years rolled away, and I gazed day after day upon her holy and mild and eloquent face, and pored over her maturing form, day after day did I discover new points of resemblance in the child to her mother, the melancholy and the dead. And hourly, grew darker these shadows of similitude, and more full, and more definite, and more perplexing, and more hideously terrible in their aspect. For that her smile was like her mother's I could bear, but then I shuddered at its too perfect identity. That her eyes were like Morella's I could endure, but then they too often looked down into the depths of my soul with Morella's own intense and bewildering meaning and in the contour of that high forehead, and in the ringlets of the silken hair, and in the wan fingers which buried themselves therein, and in the sad musical tones of her speech, and above all, above all, in the phrases and expressions of the dead, on the lips of the loved and the living, I found food for consuming thought and horror, for a worm that would not die. Thus passed away to lustre of her life, and as yet my daughter remained nameless upon the earth. My child and my love were the designations usually prompted by a father's affection, and the rigid seclusion of her days precluded all other intercourse. Morella's name died with her at her death. Of the mother I had never spoken to the daughter. It was impossible to speak. Indeed, during the brief period of her existence, the latter had received no impressions from the outward world, save such as might have been afforded by the narrow limits of her privacy. But at length the ceremony of baptism presented to my mind, in its unnerved and agitated condition, a present deliverance from the terrors of my destiny. And at the baptismal font I hesitated for a name and many titles of the wise and beautiful of old and modern times, of my own and foreign lands, came thronging to my lips, with many, many fair titles of the gentle and the happy and the good. What prompted me then to disturb the memory of the buried dead? What demon urged me to breathe that sound, which in its very recollection was wont to make ebb the purple blood in torrents from the temples to the heart? What fiend spoke from the recesses of my soul, when amid those dim aisles and in the silence of the night I whispered within the ears of the holy man the syllables, Morella? What more than fiend convulsed the features of my child, and overspread them with hues of death, as starting at that scarcely audible sound, she turned her glassy eyes from the earth to heaven, and falling prostrate on the black slabs of our ancestral vault, responded, I am here. Distinct, coldly, calmly distinct, fell those few simple sounds within my ear, and thence, like molten lead, rolled hissingly into my brain. Years, years may pass away, 
but the memory of that epoch? Never. Nor was I indeed ignorant of the flowers and the vine, but the hemlock and the cypress overshadowed me night and day, and I kept no reckoning of time or place, and the stars of my fate faded from heaven, and therefore the earth grew dark, and its figures passed by me like flitting shadows, and among them all I beheld only Morella. The winds of the firmament breathed but one sound within my ears, and the ripples upon the sea murmured evermore, Morella. But she died, and with my own hands I bore her to the tomb, and I laughed with a long and bitter laugh, as I found no traces of the first in the charnel where I laid the second Morella. I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Jim. And hi, I'm Wayne. And we're going to talk about Morella, a tale by Edgar Allan Poe, first published in the Southern Literary Messenger, April 1835. Um, I've also got the Burton's Gentleman magazine version uh, from November 1839 in my hand. That's the version I first read it on paper with and then said, oh my God, this story is so Lovecraftian. And then I said... Wayne, you got to record this thing. You will not believe how Lovecraftian it is. Um, and now that I'm looking at it now, I think it's a little less Lovecraftian than I thought it was. It's very Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> but seriously, though, it is is really Lovecraftian, right? Well, there's a clear yeah, link to a, a thing on the doorstep for a star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But uh, other stories, too. Um Hypnos is the one. Hypnos is the one that I think, I was like, holy cow, this is really close uh, in, in a couple of respects. Um, but also turns of phrase uh, show up in his other writings. You know how Lovecraft always said he had his Poe stories? This is a Poe story for sure. Um, the yeah. Morella is, but I, I'm like going through the list of which ones are the Poe stories. Um, cool Air is a Poe story. Um, and one of the ways I, I think about it is there's a line in here, um, where in cool air, it goes like, uh, shall I say it was gelatinous? Oh no, no, that's not cool air. That was, um, uh, Randolph Carter statement of Randolph Carter. He says of, of the voice on the other end of the telephone, shall I say it was this, that, the other thing gelatinous was one of them. And that phrase Shall I say, when trying to describe, it goes like this. Shall I then say that I longed with an earnest and consuming desire for the moment of Morella's disease? But it's mm-hmm. not a question. <laughs> it's, there's no question mark at the end, right? I did. 
but the fragile spirit clung to its tenement of clay for many days, for many weeks, and irksome months, until my tortured nerves obtained the mastery over my mind, and I grew furious through delay, and with the heart of a fiend cursed the days and hours and the bitter moments, which seemed to lengthen and lengthen as her gentle life declined like shadows in the dying of the day. So, to me, this is totally, totally Lovecraftian, except for the fact that it has a sort of interest in a woman. <laughs> Other than that, yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely uh, one of Poe's uh, main focuses. Uh, I think somewhere he said that uh, there's nothing more romantic than the death of a beautiful woman. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know whether I would agree with him on that or not, but uh, that that's one of his more uh, poetic. Tropes. I think I think, and that's um, from his essay on the Raven, um, how he composed it. The philosophy of composition—that's the name of it. Um, yep. Which is, a, so, I mean, you you see it so many times in his work, where it's, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, Berenice or the uh, Fall of the House of Usher, yeah. or I, I mean, there's just, you know, there's women dropping like flies in in all of his stories. That's true, and he he has four major stories with women title protagonists, right? There's Eleonora, there's um, Morella and Bear, uh, you're pronouncing it wrong, uh, Wayne. This is the way I pronounce it with my students. Very nice. That's very nice. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Berenice, I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced, but very nice is very nice name to way to say it. Um, and then there's one more. Um, Eleonora, very nice. Morella, and there's one more where it's just a woman's t- name. Lygia. Lygia. Yeah, Gia, yeah. Right, and then the rest of the story is uh, this tragedy of how uh, she died and came back as a ghost in some way. Um, And sometimes the ghost is like, oh, don't worry about it. And most of the time it's like, I'm going to haunt you. (laughs) Uh, And burn the house down normally. Oh, oh, well, that's that's the raven, right? That's... uh, and, and follow the house of Russia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, well, that one has cracked the house open. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Did you guys? I didn't really recommend it, but did either of you or any of you, I should say, um, watch the movie? No. Yeah. Okay. So there's more than one movie. There's a Roger Corman produced movie in the 60s. Called Tales of Terror, 1962. Right. Tales of Terror, now, 1962. I, I generally, personally, avoid those because I have yet to see one that has anything to actually do with, with the real it's, story. Right? I mean, they're, they're so you know, far it's away. Like, it's... Uh, here's, this, here's this movie uh, starring, you know, I don't know, uh, Vincent Price. It's the fall of the House of Usher. And I don't know where they got the screenplay, but it wasn't from the fall of the House <laughs> no. of Usher. No, it no. isn't, is it? Sometimes no, it says it's... Edgar Allan Poe's, and then it's actually an H.P. Lovecraft story. <laughs> the Haunted yeah. Palace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe's at the Mountains of Madness. Yeah, yeah exactly. That sounds it's so wrong. <laughs> so that, that's why I generally avoid avoid those avoid those things. I, I'm sure that you know. I'll, I'll, I'm saying I'm sure. I'll say it's possible that they have some uh, you know redeeming value in their own right. But, no, they uh, don't. They, they don't. They, I, uh, you're right. You're don't. right to avoid them. <laughs> Um, they're interesting. They're interesting, and I find looking at the adaptations really interesting because it sheds light on what doesn't happen in the story and why things are so strange in the story and why 
they're impossible to adapt in some ways. So let's let's just take a for example. What is the name of the main character in this story? Is it Morella or is it the husband who has no name? The unnamed narrator is the one that's telling us the story of Morella and her daughter who becomes Morella. Right. So Morella is the focus of the story, but the narrator, the unnamed narrator, is the one that's relating Morella's life here. But he he life. doesn't do anything, right? Only thing he does in the entire story is get shocked. And then at the end, he names her, and then that's the end of the story, right? He he literally is not the active guy. And this, this is another reason why it's very Lovecraftian. The main character, uh, the guy telling the story, <laughs> is a passive participant in the events around him. I think uh, uh, passive in terms of actual... Uh uh, motion <laughs> or participation, but active in, I think, in the sense that uh, it's his twisted perspective, which is the story. It is. Uh, Absolutely. You know, so he's, he's like, I, I don't know if this is technically true or not. I'm not studying enough to know, but he's like a, an unreliable narrator in that he's unreliable because, I mean, he, he, he makes all these... Uh, statements based on assumptions that are, you know, don't necessarily have anything to do with what's actually really going on in the story. Mm. It's, uh, mm. you know what I, mean? I don't he's, think he's, he's as unreliable as some love uh, Poe po narrators, like the guy in the black cat, you can't trust anything he says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right? I mean, he is 100% a liar, definitely, or at least distorting things in his for, for his own purposes. But this guy, uh, I, I, I see him as more like a victim of, uh, I mean, maybe that's how he's, I don't get the sense he's unreliable other than, like, he, he's nuts, right? I, I don't yeah. think he's lying. I think he's nuts, if anything. Right. Um, he lives a weird lifestyle, man. <laughs> doesn't go outside, doesn't let his daughter talk to anybody, doesn't need to give her his daughter a name. Um, spends all his time reading uh, German philosophy. Right? His, his <laughs> wife is—he uh, doesn't love her, right? All sorts of weird stuff going on there. But I want—I want to bring this to the question of the names because um, in the first time I, you know, when I'm trying to read Morella, I want to—I want to read it, but it's hard. This text is hard to read, right? It's it's full of high level vocab words. So very first thing I do, I always look for a comic book version. I found one, <laughs> and, wow. and then I'm reading it. And I'm like, this this doesn't seem like Edgar Allan Poe. And I'm reading it, and then it turns out that it was an adaptation of the movie. Uh, oh God. Uh, the uh, one, what's it called, Mr. Jim and the sixty two one? Tales of Terror. Tales of Terror. So Tales of Terror is an amicus film with three short films, or three connected stories, or unconnected stories, three horror stories, and the very first one is Morella. Um, but Morella isn't the main character. The main character is Eleonora. Uh, is that her name? Uh, Lenora, or uh, Ellen, Eleonora. Uh, Lenora, uh, that's the name of the daughter. Or Leonora, In this maybe. version, she actually got a name, rather than... Right, she has a name. The story where she was, hey you... Child, <laughs> right, oh, right. Thing, come my here. beloved, <laughs> my sweetie. Um, but also the 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 father gets a name. I believe it's Gideon Locke, which is a funny name. 
And in the comic book, I'm like, who are these characters? I, this doesn't match the Wikipedia entry, right? And there's all this stuff that's in there. And in, because it's only like 20, 22 minutes long, that short uh, segment of um, Tales... What is it? Tales of Terror. Tales of Terror, okay. Uh, and Vincent Price plays uh, the father, and um, it, 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 it's much more like... Um, the fall of the house of usher without the without the friend you know the friend come to visit um and then at the end of the the thing the house burns down and then uh i watched i watched that and then i watched the uh the uh 1990 roger corman produced but not directed uh film called the tomb of morella or no it's the horror of morella i think um the jim winorski one right right and um I was uh, I was interested because this is full length. It's uh, you know an hour and a half or whatever, um, and then I started watching. And I'm like, how come this guy's named Gideon Locke, and why is his daughter named Eleonora? Well, it is not Morella the story, right? In fact, it, it, it because it's longer, it adds even more stuff, and it turns into the uh, Lady Bathgory. No, what's her Count Countess Bath Elizabeth Bathory? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Countess Bathgory, because she likes to bathe in late. Uh, Bathor, yeah, in Maiden's Bathor, yeah. Blood, right? Right. To keep uh, I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of nudity in this. Oh, well. not only a lot of nudity, a lot of lesbianism. Um, yeah. Well, and, if yeah. you look at his IMD page and you find he's done films such as Scared Topless, <laughs> Sex to Feed, <laughs> oh, and TMI. Busty Coeds versus Lusty Cheerleaders. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so this is all pretty much derived from 19th century. Oh, uh, yes. Horror fiction. <laughs> That's right. Gothic <laughs> romanticism. Um. Well, well, wait, wait a minute. So, 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 so why would you name the daughter Eleanor even in a derivation when the daughter's name is clearly Le Mor- Morella too? Yeah, I was just thinking exactly. So why is this, why is this the, the comic book version have all this? Why, why is no, and even um, uh, Corbin, what's his name? Richard Corbin, uh, the artist. Corbin, yeah. Corbin. Anyways, um, he he has an adaptation of Morella, and it's like I'm reading it, and I'm like, this isn't Morella. <laughs> yeah, well, I I think you can attribute it that to it's uh, it's not really um, a very quickly accessible story to right. people in the the 20th century, at least, because I mean this this is an uh, an old uh, 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 what do you call it um, pet peeve of mine is that. Uh, uh, education in the 19th century was something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Morella uh, uh, takes for granted the fact that um, uh, takes for granted that you have a familiarity with uh, uh, Plato's Symposium, right? Uh, and and what that has to do with um, sure. personal identity. Uh, it 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 takes for for granted the idea that you have. Uh, a, a nodding acquaintance with Fichte, uh, his pantheism, uh, or his accused pantheism. Pantheism. He, it takes for granted that you have a familiarity with uh, the uh, palingenesis of uh, Pythagoreans. Uh, you know, it, there's there's so much going on in there that just uh, assumes that you uh, know it. That uh, it, it's stuff that you know we haven't been taught. Right. Uh, uh, we, I did so much research on this story, having gone back and 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 look it up. That uh, you know, it, it's no wonder that people don't get it. 
unless you've had Poe's education, um, or unless you've had a 19th century education, uh, you're not going to get it. Um, or you're just a read, student, because that's how I read. I, I made my students read this with me so we can do it. took a long time. We're going sentence by sentence, word by word. And then I have them translated into English that I understand, right, for me. And then I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Listen to this. And then it's beautiful. That's the other thing. It's, it's yeah. not just all these high-level vocab words and giant sentences. It's beautiful. And and it, it is it, it is creepy, too. I mean... I mean um, my first thing I ran across was in the epigraph. It's from Plato's Symposium. Itself, by itself, solely, one, everlasting, and single. Okay, that's not self-explanatory. No, it's not. <laughs> so I, I, I looked up Plato's Symposium, and I read through it. And while it was uh, an experience, I didn't see what the heck that it had to do with, with anything to do with Morella. Uh, I investigated a little further. Um, there's one part, uh, well, the symposium is supposed to be, um, it's a drinking party, a, a drinking party where everyone holds forth on a particular topic. And the drinking part was supposed to loosen tongues, mm -hmm. you know, where in you, vino veritas. Exactly. Um, so, uh, the, the theme of that were, was supposed to be speeches that are, to be given in the in the praise of Eros, the uh, god of love and desire, and uh, in uh, within the first couple of paragraphs, um, the narrator says that his interest in um, Morella was unlike hers, was not that of Eros. Mm -hmm. So he he wasn't that into her, you know. Uh, he didn't find sex her sexy, yeah. Right, uh, but her focus was on Eros. And so I did a little more research. Uh, Eros, uh, in the symposium, I'm looking at my notes here, uh -huh. uh, it's recognized as erotic love and also as, uh, I'll quote this uh, article I read, a phenomenon that's capable of inspiring courage, valor, great deeds and works, and <laughs> vanquishing man's natural fear of death. So I put that together with, like, what, uh, with, with Morella's particular interest throughout the story, which is all this uh, uh, German literature and uh, uh, philosophy, but her focus on Eros gives her um, the ability to vanquish man's natural fear of death, as in uh, that's what Eros is uh, ascribed to one of the powers that are is ascribed to the spirit eros uh but also actually conquered death itself uh it preserves her consciousness in the in in reincarnation and she gets that actual ability in real life from all of these you know mystical mm -hmm. uh studies that she goes through um the forbidden books yeah, and 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 you know that's not something in the 20th century that people are going to go. Oh yeah, right. Uh, you know uh, those Pressburg girls. That, <laughs> oh yeah, you know. <laughs> I was saving that lineup, like <laughs> <Yes>. those, <laughs> those Pressburg chicks. Those Pressburg chicks. They they're with their education. They they're always 
placing before you mystical writings, which are usually considered the mere dross of early German literature. Um, <laughs> I, I, and uh, by the way, it's unnecessary to state yeah. the exact nature of these disquisitions. <laughs> so I, I, I bring this all, you know, this who who's in the story, the adaptation. Why? Because the word Locke, L-O-C-K-E, is in here. That's why they chose to name this guy Locke. And I was thinking, like, if you're a really stupid person and you're reading this story, you might think that that's the main character's name. Like, mm-hmm. well, maybe not a stupid person, just a, like, I don't do any research kind of person. The wild no, pantheism that, that of refers, Fichte... That refers to John Locke, the philosopher. Yeah, it's John Locke who does have a thing on personal identity, right? Uh, it's not what he's mostly known for, but, right. you know, uh, love, uh, not Lovecraft, Poe's reading uh, this stuff, not uh, Morella. Morella doesn't exist, right? Poe's reading this stuff and says, wow, this is some some heavy shit. <laughs> That's not how Poe talks, I don't think. <laughs> and then and then he says, um, wow. Um, and it's so interesting that he has this, like, this is a very unusual character. She is, uh, in the adaptations, they make her a witch, right? Uh, yeah. They make her, um, I want to call her a lich, rather than a witch. I even wrote a poem about a lich that has basically the same uh, structure as that this is a way, you know, to renew life. Um, and and thinking of, like, the motifs that are in here, that come up again and again, that if if you're just read it the one time, you don't notice, I guess, or I didn't, um, is, like, this is, none of this is transla- translatable to film without doing it in a very unusual style uh, aka a non-commercial style so do you guys yep. notice all the growing a uh, plant uh references so yes, at, yes. even at the end um he taught oh here it is i've got it highlighted um years years may roll away but the memory of that epoch never now was i indeed ignorant of the flowers and the vine but the hemlock and the cypress overshadowed me night and day like what the hell does that mean literally you cannot understand it without thinking of it as some sort of metaphor right mm-hmm. flowers in the vine so I, I here's my read on it maybe i'm not right but flowers and vines are those things that grow yearly right they come, they die every year and they grow back every year right um whereas the hemlock and the cypress endure the winter and of course hemlock is also uh poison but um, exactly. But the Cypress specifically is, you know, one of those Greek style or Italian trees that is persistent. They grow to a great height and they are persistent. They live a long time. They're um, also frequently planted in graveyards. Aha. Okay. Yep. yep and yep. in classical times were one of the uh, the foliage used for funeral decorations. There you go. Oh, yes. Yeah. You're right, Tim. Mm. Yep. So... Uh, what, do we know what? Then I can't remember the tree in the story, the tree by Lovecraft. Um, is that a cypress, the one that grows over the tomb of the two, or the tomb of the artist? You guys know what I'm talking uh, about. Yeah, I can't remember if it's actually ever named. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Look. Um, uh, uh, Wayne, have you read that story? The no, tree? it's an olive tree. It's an olive I tree. Have. Uh-huh. Yep. I That's have. a great story. An uh, olive tree of oddly repellent shape. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, makes sense. It's in Greece, right? 
Um, th this this isn't the first time the flowers and vines and stuff come up, but that's actually his wife talking at the beginning about the and um, the fact that it's autumn and like there is a kind of metaphor that is running through this of renewal, right? And it's so short. It's literally three pages long in yeah. one version anyways. Yeah, they're both three pages long in both versions. But there, there is a, a lot to it. I mean, the, the whole theme of um, is there life after death, uh, he, <laughs> he never states it succinctly. And it, it would be very easy to read the whole story and go through it a couple of times and not get it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just... But I think that's it. I mean, is there life after death? Um, so uh, uh, and the, the answer seems to be uh, at least uh, Morella has attained it through sort of. reincarnation because of all of her arcane studies. So uh, in in the other adaptations, they always don't have her disappear from the tomb. And I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know the answer to this, and I hope you guys can speculate. Um, so... Morella gets put in the tomb after she dies, right? In in the different versions, they have her just laying in the bed, and then uh, sometimes she's in the tomb, and, and her corpse needs blood or whatever. But in this one, she literally has disappeared from the tomb, and her daughter, who is born, and I note in this one, uh, as she as Morella lost lost life, uh, her final breath, her daughter took her first breath, right? So she dies in childbirth. In the adaptations, they, you know, wait a couple months or something until she's dead, which is stupid. Um, and they turn... <laughs> yeah, wait, what? It's very <laughs> stupid. They don't, understand, they don't understand the story or don't want to understand the story. They're just trying to float on the Edgar Allan Poe no, no name or just use the, the story as a, a jumping off point for something else. But the thing is, is in this, in this story, I get the sense... That Morella is not evil as much as she is um, mistaken. Um, in the other version, she's literally, you know, killing people to get more life, and she right. occupies her daughter's body in a way that is like to, for her own selfish purposes, she subsumes her, presses down her personality in the way that we see in um, the thing on the doorstep, right? That it, it is literally evil. Um, in taking someone else's body for your own uh, existence, yeah, here not, I don't I don't really, get that at all here. Yeah, it's a, that's a not really addressed in it. Uh, what uh, I mean, the whole thing being uh, focused on the all importance of personal identity mm -hmm. and you know, su survival of the consciousness. It's not really addressed. But uh, uh, did she displace? That identity so. of her of her daughter, or did she become her daughter? Is, I think she is, is her daughter. Are, yeah. are they identified in, in in as much as they are both exactly the uh, self same person? Uh, and uh, or did she actually you know displace this the spirit uh, of the child? And if so, that certainly would make her evil. That that gets that gets into the whole that gets into a whole lot of. Christian Catholic theology about when does when does when does the actual soul go into the into into the fetus is it is it is it at childbirth is it is that conception um, 
there are there are a couple of different theological strains as with very different ideas as to when that actually occurs, and depending on which one you believe is true, whether or not Morella actually is evil or not, kind of changes. Like for example, if you if you believe that, and this is this is this is pure Catholic dogma that. Uh, life begins at conception. The, the, the soul the soul enters the, enters the fetus at that time. Then what Morella did is evil because she she destroyed a human life to take that body for her own when in childbirth. If you believe, however, that life does not that childhood life does not actually begin until the baby comes out of the womb, then no, she actually basically just took the place instead of instead of having that life start on its own. And she is she's more morally gray shall we say it's still not a great act she's she's taken away the potential for a life to take it for her own rather than destroying a life there's all right so 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 is she light gray or is she dark evil that mm. depends on your theology uh, interesting very interesting good, good great observation but um uh, i he doesn't really he doesn't really say what no. his opinion is one way or the other no but it's, it's not it's, ambiguous it to be, totally I want to get Mr. Yeah. Jim Moon's thoughts on this, but I want to pick up on what you just said, Paul, um, because there's something that is interesting about this story in that Paul Paul was a reviser. He was a guy who went in back and fixed things up every time he republished them. He changed them a little bit, trying to make them smoother. And I noted, um, I just listening to Wayne's version, and got a pen in hand, and every time it's changed in an, from the original, which is, you know, I've got the first publications in hand, um, so here's one um it says my convictions or i forget myself were in no manner acted upon by my imagination but that's not how it is in the version you've read which is the later version revised by poe it says my convictions or i forget myself were in no manner acted upon by the ideal so he'll change a word here or there he he replaces the word laid with the word placed he replaces the word tinged with the word tainted right and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's, this is subtle polishing, right? Um, he changes the word these to those. And, you know, I tell my students, you know, the word this and the, uh, this and that are quite different, right? This is a good idea. That's a bad idea. This, this, is my, uh, this is what we should do. That is one idea of what we should do, right? It's a way of pushing things away. So he is very good at polishing. But there's a whole section that is omitted from the later version and your narration, Wayne, and it has to do with Catholicism. So let me (laughs) read this. Okay, this is on page 449 of the Southern Literary Messenger Edition at the bottom of the column in the top of the next column. Um, In the middle of a paragraph. Um, I'll just read the start of the paragraph. But one autumnal evening, when the winds lay still in heaven, Morella called me to her side. There was a dim mist over the earth and a warm glow upon the waters, and amid the rich October leaves of the forest, a rainbow from the firmament had surely fallen. And then there's an omitted section, and then it continues. It is a day of days, said Morella, a day of days, either to live or die. It is a fair day for the sons of earth and life. Ah, more fair for the daughters of heaven and death. And that's how it reads in the version you read, Wayne, and the version Mm -hmm. that most people read. Here is the middle of that, uh, or the middle of that paragraph, the omitted part, which is mostly a quote-unquote Catholic hymn. I'll read this. As I came, she was murmuring in a low undertone, which trembled with fervor, the words of a Catholic hymn. Sancta Maria, 
turn thine eyes upon thy uh, upon the sinner's sacrifice or fervent prayer and humble love from thy holy throne above at morn at noon at dim twilight dim maria thou hast heard my hymn in joy and woe in good and ill mother of god be with me still when my hours flew gently by and no storms were in the sky my soul lest it should truant be thy love did guide thee thine did guide to thine and thee now when clouds of fate o'ercast all my present and my past let my future radiant shine with sweet hopes of thee and thine thee and thine so wow if that's what she's singing at the point right before she dies right that oh, totally God. changes the story, right? That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And wow. you can see why he removed it too, right? <laughs> oh God, yes, because that that, that that makes her a monster. Because yes, I mean, if if yeah, if they're, if they're a Catholic, then yes, and she just destroyed her daughter's life to take it for herself. That really pushes her into into the evil camp for sure. Oh but, God. But also, uh, it not just it, it it not just does that, but also it. It makes the comparison of her to Maria or Mary, right? I just I just tweeted about a movie um, called Hail Mary that was uh, banned in Brazil and Argentina or something, and it was you know got uh, uh, there's a quote on the poster from Pope John Paul II saying yeah. this ruinously blah blah blahs right, and it's basically the there's another virgin birth is going to happen right, and uh-huh. it's just a art film. Um, but uh, at one point in our version of the story, in the version Rain, Wayne's read and we all read, uh, um, and every version actually, he says, uh, she says your daughter, and he says her daughter, not my daughter, right? He never really ac- accepts her as a daughter, and that shows up in some of the adaptations. But having this Mary thing in here, and having that their their love is not an erotic love i was like maybe this is parthenogenesis like she just like reading these books and she's uh, you know jesus can't be parthenogenesis because he's a boy right and some people say no he's just a guy he's just a girl dressed as a guy and like no i don't think so (laughs) i think he's supposed to be the son of of mary right but here we've got a female reproducing herself and she looks identical to her mother, right? And starts acting like her mother. She, she, uh, she. I mean, if you're gonna copy, make a copy of yourself, this is how they do it in science fiction, right? You want to live forever? You make a clone, and that you put your brain or mind into that clone, and um, you even have your own genetics, right? This is how right. they do it in modern science fiction. If you don't read this as a fantasy witch story. Or lich story, which she's more of a lich to me than she is a witch. Then you could read this as a, a science fiction story before uh, you know Poe's inventing science fiction, but it doesn't feel like he's doing it in this. But it it could be read that way. Um, but you, if you keep the Catholic stuff, it sort of distracts from the main thrust of the story, which is we don't know what's going on. And at the end, when she's got She's named. She dies. It's like a failed experiment in some way. Um, but it also goes back to that opening quote. But before we go back there, I think I should give Mr. Jim Moon a chance to talk about <laughs> what what's going on. What's going on? 
with all that. I don't know, having that extra verse, um, I did read about that earlier and looked into it. I thought, it just really changed the tenor of the poem. Totally. Um, I'm sorry, and the, and, the, uh, and the story as well, when you put them together. Um, I mean, I always assumed it was kind of like, say, like a Dex, Charles Dexter Ward kind of, you know, she is reborn in her own child. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, or rather, she's there as an influence. And it's when he, when he gives her a name, that's when she sort of, it comes to the fore, but you know it's an unnatural thing, and it doesn't, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's like um, uh, w- w- it, with real cloning, right? The, there's always health problems with the clone because of the way they're cloned. They don't live very long. It's almost with the naming. I mean, there's an old um, folkloric thing and uh, a magical thing that you know the idea of if you have someone's true name, you have power over them. And it's kind of like speaking the name breaks the spell of the influence upon mm. the child, but it also kills the child as well, who's being perhaps, you know, unnaturally nurtured because she's grown rapidly, sort of Wilbur Waitley style. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's monstrous, pre- pre- precocious, and she's so intertwined with mer- the original Morella's influence that the naming it breaks the spell, but that kills her as well. That's how I've I've kind of read it. It's it's one of those, it's a very strange story because it's kind of, for a tale of possession, he's bringing up, you know, 18th and 19th century German philosophers Mm -hmm. rather than Dr. John Dee or Malleus Maleficorum or, or, you know, books on sorcery or alchemy. And it is kind of, kind of, well, it's kind of, you're writing a spooky story, but you're not, you're not trying to dress it up in the usual sort of gothic uh you know accoutrements and it's kind of why is he doing that is what i find really interesting and i think you know it's it's kind of a symbolic story i think mm, about mm. about people's about grief and how hard it is to be able to to see a, a passed on relative you know in the next generation and mm-hmm. be constantly reminded of them in a in a kind of a painful way i think he's I think it's a symbolist story rather than a gothic one. I, I agree think. with you. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting perspective because uh, you know that's one thing that uh, we've all noticed about H.P. Lovecraft too. That instead of uh, concentrating on uh, mysticism or uh, supernatural in a classic sense, he he introduced a lot of uh, what was then current. A science as an excuse for a lot of things that happened in his books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's a yeah. science fiction writer in in a very real way. It's just it's hidden by the fact that you know he he obscures it with all these vocab words, right? Uh, yeah, he's not and, I mean, what, what, Jim, he's what Jim just said, what Jim just uh, pointed out, uh, really kind of shed light on it uh, for me for the first time. Uh, uh, that seems to be exactly what Poe is, is doing here. Instead of, uh, you know, characterizing her as a witch, he's characterized her and her, uh, her power to overcome death uh, as something that's, uh, you know, a, a result of uh, uh, advanced, if arcane, philosophy and, mm-hmm. and science. You know, you, you mentioned parthenogenesis. It's, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a way of... Uh, of reproducing yourself and it it's not as mystical as it is scientific in a way yeah it doesn't happen in mammals very often that's for sure but it it it's definitely observed in other 
people want to say lower organisms. I don't think that that's correct. I think just other organisms. Um, they might be clo lo closer to the ground, but they're not a lower <laughs> order or anything like that. Um, it's uh it's pretty amazing what we what we've got here is is it's it's saying what is identity um he if we look at it as as the way he talks about his daughter uh, let's just listen to this this is uh second to last paragraph thus passed away two lustrums whatever those are of life lustrum lustrum is uh it's plural of lustra. I had to look that up. Lustra is a period of five years. Okay. Oh, I did not know that. Interesting. So that, she's that, 10. That answers some questions, yeah. Uh, but my daughter remained nameless upon the earth. My child and my love were the designations usually prompted by a father's affection, and the rigid seclusion of her days precluded any other intercourse. Um, I think that uh, you know, my child makes sense. It's his daughter. My love, you know, you say that to a kid, sure. But also, this is a kid who now he's in charge of, right? Um, he's the father. Um, but in the relationship previously, she was the dominant one, right? The mother, yeah. uh, she's like a mother figure almost to him. She's guiding his, the striking image, of guiding his hand in his reading, like he's he's he, she puts a book in front of him and she grabs his hand and she says, you know, here, drag your finger over here and you're gonna pronounce this word, right? It's kind of like what I do with my students. I'm like, okay, try to pronounce uh, enkindling and disquisitions, right? So you have to sort of go line by line. But here, he's presumably an adult who knows how to read. So what the hell kind of relationship is this, right? It's weird. And then he becomes that for her in a sense, but she is already like Alia, the brother of Muadib from Dune. She <laughs> is already imbued with the with the mind and knowledge of uh, a reverend mother, right? Yeah, I saw you had tweeted that out a couple totally of Totally right before though. Actually, it, act, before I actually listen to the story and my listen to the story like Oh, God, he's got a point. Morella has no last name. Uh, I guess it'd be Morella Locke in the uh, movie version if they ever mention it. She has no last name, but if she had a middle name, it would be Alia because that character from Dune um, has the same issue, right? She's been invested with the, with the knowledge of someone much wiser than she. <laughs> I'm almost quoting a, a poem there. Um, a poem, poem, I can't remember which one. Uh, Down by the Sea, Annabelle Lee. There we go. Interesting. Yeah. And I also thought that <laughs> that was kind of a, that gave me pause when I reached that part of the story. It's like, okay, she's 10 years old and you you haven't, you haven't named her yet? Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't that He's a weird, weird guy. They have their own, that we don't know what kind of circuit, like, we don't, picture their house there's no visualization of how many rooms there are anything like that in the story the only way we get an idea of what kind of um of you know lifestyle they lead is that they have their own family tomb right so they obviously yeah oh, here here it is um 
and falling prostrate on the black slabs of our ancestral vault, responded, I am here. So they have an ancestral vault. I assume that this is in the church where she's getting um, her baptism, right? Or is it, is it christening, well, I guess? Baptism. Is it baptism or christening? It's well. It, well, she's not named until the baptism, which is again a very old idea that you don't name a child till they're baptized. Because you, that's what because they might not have survived to that point. So they have yeah, their own church. Is that what it no, is? No, no, that they, they, they probably they probably have a Chapel? they probably have a. There's probably a cemetery connected to this church, and they have a ancestral vault in yeah, that but, cemetery. But you wouldn't you wouldn't um, baptize your kid. In the tomb. No, in the no, no, in the church. But 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 with the church, there's a graveyard, and in that graveyard, they have this vault. But I I get the sense that she's she's like at the baptismal font or whatever, and and then it's it's time to name her because she's just been baptized, and then and then she falls to immediately to the ground, whereupon the, the underneath that is the dead body, right? Or what's supposed to be Morella's supposed to be down there and then they go he takes her down there i'll just read this it's easier and i kept on i kept no reckoning of time or place in the stars and my fate fate is something that comes up again and again including fate is in that uh uh catholic hymn faded from heaven and therefore the earth grew dark and its figures passed by me like flitting shadows and among them all i beheld only morella the wind and the firmament breathed but one sound within my ears, and the ripples upon the sea murmured evermore, Morella. There's another very poism, right? That evermore. But she died, and with my own hands I bore her to the tomb, and I laughed with a long and bitter laugh as I found no traces of the first in the charnel where I laid the second Morella. So I get the sense that this is a church that is, or a chapel at least, so they must live in a sort of a high lifestyle like the House of Usher, right? Some manor, manorial, semi-manorial mm-hmm. estate. Um, and he has no tutors to teach his daughter, and he has... So this is why I think in the adaptations they they uh, put it in that... It's not like a guy living in a hut, right? He's got a big no, library. But, but, but very ice but a very isolated cloistered yeah, life there's a, either three or four characters in the story depending on you count and one of them um, is the the priest who has no words right so it, it, he's probably the first person she's ever seen other than him this is almost like uh, what's the that story uh, the tempest by uh, Shakespeare? Yes, where, Prospero and Miranda. Right, Miranda being the daughter who's never seen a man other than her her, uh, her, her father, father, yeah. Who's got a big beard, and so when a young man washes up on the shore, she doesn't know what he is, but she really likes him. <laughs> oh, he's sexy. I don't know what that word sexy means, but he's totally <laughs> it's time, sexy. It's time, for Mar- time for Miranda sexy times. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, seriously, I mean, this is uh, this is a really weird guy, right? Um, he's raised her without naming her. When it comes to the time to name her, um, it's it's it is symbolic. It has to be of and and what what are we to make of the fact that he finds his wife kind of not sexy at all? She is a witch or a lich or something that she 
she's so powerfully interesting that she cast a spell on him or it's almost like the Lovecraft's marriage you know <laughs> like um he, he, she, she how could anybody find me attractive he says um and she says well you know we have uh we're interested in other things right but does it work the other way for women as it does for men men yes there's something about being hot and being attractive i don't know uh the difference between being hot and being beautiful you the, the description of morella is very limited but I do I did draw a little picture based on what it says. She had black hair, uh, with that was curly and a and a wide white forehead, or a broad forehead, and then she would run her fingers through her her curly hair. Um, and I guess that giant forehead is to encompass all those brains, right? Yeah. So, so, I mean that they, that's is his uh, stated interest in her. Uh, his interest was not of Eros, but, uh, uh, you know, he was interested in and fascinated by her ideas. Yeah. Uh, she rendered me happy. It is a happiness to wonder. It is a happiness to dream. That's, that's the, her erudition made him happy. Mm-hmm. So, so who did the art in your YouTube video, Wayne? Oh, yeah. I, I was just listening, like I'd turn it on and listen to it, and then every once in a while I'd like look up and I'm like, what the hell's going on? I just thought it was a static <laughs> image. Well, no. Who did that? Uh, I I, uh, I put it together wow. with uh, with um, you know just different different clips. I have a, a library of uh, of, of license free video clips, and wow. I put that together with uh, I think there's some background music in it somewhere and. Yeah, the beginning. Yeah, you don't do it in the yeah. the audiobook proper like you are right not to. Um, but I, yeah, I was astounded. Like I, I thought that was really professional. I'm like, wow, I, it must have taken forever. Um, it took a couple of days. Wow. You know, I, I would, I just go through it and and a, a particular sentence or a particular paragraph would would uh, would bring up an image and I just go search for an image that had mm-hmm. something to do with that you know mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to illustrate it as much as just set a mood yeah oh it definitely does that um, I I find it interesting to look at the illustration I didn't find anything that perfectly encapsulated it but um, I I want to throw just in looking at my own drawing of her <laughs> which it's not a great drawing but I like it anyways um, I, I want to throw a very wild, wild is the word for it, um, <laughs> uh, interpretation of what's going on. Um, and let's just, I'll go for it. What if this is a gender-flipped story, that the Morella is Poe rather than the narrator? The what wide is- forehead is something, you know, everybody knows what Poe looks like. He's got very famous f- photographs and drawings, and um, and he's a funny-looking guy. Not not ugly, exactly, but not not classically handsome, right? Um, he's got a big forehead. He's obviously got brains to spare. Um, and I always... I, I read a lot of his stuff, and... He wrote a ton of letters to women that are just basically wooing them, right? He was a wooer. And he's not wooing them with his money because he ain't got none. 
he ain't wooing them with his you know his uh, fame fame because he his fame is relatively limited. He's wooing them with poems. Um, he's wooing them with his devotion and his his vocab. Um, it's almost like he's the main character. He's Morella. What do you think, Mr. Jim? Uh, Mm. <laughs> trying to try get my head around the angles on that one now. <laughs> I, I think I would give you this much that uh, she represents his uh, respect for uh, erudition and uh, uh, deep thought and philosophy, and as well as his desire to uh, not dissipate and disappear at death. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Well, he doesn't. He's still around. We're 150. Uh, no, it's not 155 years later. It's 155 plus 28, so it's uh, 178 years later. We're still talking about him and this story. Um, he's got a certain kind of immortality for sure. Um, but we don't know him as well as we know his stuff, right? I don't understand his motivations on a lot of stuff, but I can see what he does with it. And it's a powerful, powerful set of images. What do yeah, you a lot of the things, a lot of a lot of the things he yeah. he toss, tosses away uh, as just oblique, quick references are are pretty deep. Uh, for example, there's, there's there's one sentence I think in the first couple of paragraphs um, where he starts to lose his fascination with Morella. Uh, he starts to be fearful. At, uh, at what he's discovering about, uh, you know, her, her, uh, her studies and, and whatnot. It starts to be disturbing to him. Uh, and thus, the most beautiful became the most hideous as Hinnom became Gehenna. And I knew that was a biblical reference, so I looked it up. And, and what that's about is, is pretty cool. Hinnom uh, is a, it's a geographical place. Um, and in uh, Old Testament times, like, I don't know, like, in 1400 BC, mm. it was part, it was part of the promised land. Promised it's another word for tribe. heaven, right? Uh, yeah. The, so the, the the metaphor is you know a highly desirable place, you know, a land of milk and honey type of thing, and that became Gehenna. Uh, in in later years, uh, Gehenna was just a it's a it's a Greek contraction translation of the word Hinnom, so it's the same place, but they had different associations. Hinnom had associations with the promised land. Gehenna had associations later on with things that happened to Canaanites in that area uh, area before um, the uh, the, uh, the Jewish tribes came in and took over the area. That's where they were worshiping Baal and worshiping mm. uh, you know Canaanite gods. And some of the uh, Jewish tribes later on uh, started following those practices and sacrificing their kids to Baal um, and another god, I can't think of the name. Um, but anyway, what they used to do is take them, uh, Moloch, that's the other name. They would take them and sacrifice them to Moloch by putting them in this huge, uh, I'm assuming bronze, bronze age. Kettle? Uh, oven. Oven, yeah. yeah. Oh, kiln, yeah. And they would sacrifice, you know, sa- human live human sacrifice to these gods by putting their children in the fire. Uh, so the association with that, the area became not quite 
as milk and honey anymore. It's more like the association is burning babies. You know. So, yeah, the, the, I, I took these as straight up analogies for heaven and hell. You know, like there's a million of them, right? But yeah. that 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 adds a richness to the texture that is, you know, hellish. Um, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to figure out why, uh, and uh, uh, Bow and uh, uh, interestingly was uh, in some uh, some areas of thought uh, thought to be or claimed to be uh, a son of another Mesopotamian god called Dagon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a uh, there's a uh, um, Lovecraftian association for you. Yeah, the the Bible, the first half of the Bible is full of strong evidence that God's not the only God around. He's just the yep. he's yeah. just the best God. He's our God, right? Um, and then the second half of the Bible is like, what other gods? Nah. Um, yeah. I wanna I wanna quote something here that backs up that early uh, part of our story here, talking about how he's sort of getting disaffected with the relationship. You know, mm-hmm. um, this is from a Lovecraft story. As to the nature of our studies, must I say again that I no longer retain full comprehension? It seems to me rather merciful that I do not, for they were terrible studies, which I pursued more through reluctant fascination than through actual inclination. That quote always sticks in my head. Uh, Warren always dom- dominated me, and sometimes I feared him. I remembered how I shuddered at his facial expression on the night before the awful happening. When he talks so incessantly of his theory, why certain corpses never decay, but rest firm and fatten their tombs for a thousand years. But I do not fear him now, for I suspect that he has known horrors beyond my ken. I now fear for him. So I I just want to focus in on that, that Warren always dominated me, and sometimes I feared him. That is the relationship that these two have, right? She dominates him. Um, and then dies um and then the story continues when she comes back right and then she dies again and that is that's some heavy shit right there what happens to the narrator (laughs) after so this is told past tense i regarded how is it where is this text from Right? Is when, this, when, when is he? When is he telling the story he, in relation to the events? Is he yes. like in the insane asylum and explaining to his doctor what what went wrong? That 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 would be a very Lovecraftian sort of answer. It is. Like, it would be right. Like yeah, you yeah. It's a, I, I'm bringing this an appreciable mental strain. You will not believe the events that led me to the death of my wife Morella and that my daughter. Herein lies the tale. Yeah, yeah that's, that, or I just sh- put six bullets through the head of my friend, right? And it was a merciful thing to do. Yeah, um, thing on the doorstep. Yeah, or the hound, or uh, oh, so many of these relationships where you've got uh, an unequal partnership, all masculine, right? But, we get but, it once with uh, the Lovecraft's uh, thing on the doorstep where it's a female, but it, it's even more malign there. Because it's I a dude still. I want to go back to something for a mm-hmm. second because you you were going to ask me what I was thinking yeah. about this whole Poe as Morella thing, and I want I, I want to pick up a couple of sentences from this story that kind of like point to Morella as Poe. It's like I, I soon, however, found out perhaps on account of her Pressburg education, she placed before me a number of those mystical writings which are usually considered the mere dross of early German literature, and 
Then it goes on, and rake up from the ashes of a dead philosophy some low singular words whose strange meaning burn themselves in upon my memory. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to some other other obscure things, pantheism of bitch, the modified pang Pangrugidia of the Pythoids. That does sound very much like Poe and also Lovecraft putting in unusual, strange references, just like we were talking about yeah, with the, the Kenon and Kahana. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, so, so from a textual level, yes, this is what Poe and, and also Lovecraft do all the times. Like, as, as you were talking before about vocab words that you were teaching your students. I mean, these stories are just full of that stuff mm-hmm. and full of these references that you can really go and do a deep dive and try to uncork what he really actually means. Like, like the, what, like, 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 like the luster I, I just passed over that. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I'm at five years. Like, well, cool. Yeah. It, he, he really is. I mean, uh, I assume that this is the pinnacle of the educational stuff, right? It's not everybody's operating at this level, but they, it's all reachable. Uh, by people who could read back then. And of course, a large percentage of the population still couldn't read. But um, I want to point out that this is also an audiobook story because she reads to him. It doesn't say she reads, but she... I'll just read what it says here. Um, mer, um, and then, then, when pouring... I love the repeats. And then, then, when pouring over the forbidden pages, I felt a forbidden spirit enkindling within me. Is that her taking over him? One of my drawings I have of 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 Morella's my roof bear characters. I just like take. Yes, other, I saw that. Yeah, uh, I got a Morella uh, sort of mother bear uh, standing over the child bear, right? And the child bear's got a hypnotized look on his face. Um, he's under the spell, right? And she's guiding his hand uh, in that image, and and that. That's striking here. It's almost like she's inhabiting him in the way that she will later inhabit the daughter. And then, then, when pouring over forbidden pages, I felt a forbidden spirit enkindling within me. Would Morella place her cold hand up, and and me? Would Morella place her cold hand upon my own and rake up from the ashes of a dead philosophy some low singular words whose strange meaning burned themselves upon my memory? And then. This is the part where it's an audiobook. Hour after hour would I linger by her side and dwell upon the music of her voice until at length its melody was tainted with terror and I felt like a shadow uh, felt like a shadow upon the music uh, upon my soul and I grew pale and shuddered inwardly as those two unearthly tones and thus joy suddenly blah blah blah. So to me this is she starts off talking like a woman, right? La, 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 reading, reading, reading. <laughs> and then suddenly the voice, or slowly the voice becomes... That, uh, the, the Slowly the voice changes to that of Wayne June, and everybody has the shit freaked out of them. And it's like, holy hell! Because she's hour after hour reading, right? And she's, he's cool with it, and he likes it. And then suddenly he just can't, he can't handle it. He grows pale, shudders inwardly at the, those two unearthly tones. And it, I thought when I was listening to it, I thought it was two unearthly tones, like uh, two syllables, right? <laughs> no, it's uh. T-O-O. Um, so uh, I was like, Morella, that's three syllables. So no, it's two unearthly, as in so far from the earth. 
Oh man, and she she's she's literally hypnotizing him in a certain sense, um, and and the relationship they have is is fucked up too because he doesn't love her in the sexy way. Why does he marry her? She hypnotizes him into it, right? It's almost like um, how uh, it works in the thing on the doorstep. And there's a great story. I think Mr. Jim Moon's familiar with it. Paul, I don't know. Uh, the Parasite by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Right? Oh, yeah. So uh, that's the story, uh, Wayne, in which you should totally read it. It's um, uh dude, she's, uh, he's living in London and some lady from, uh, I want to say Voodoo Town, but uh, Jamaica, I guess, uh, comes back. Uh, and she's got hip- hypnotic powers and she's not super attractive, but she casts a spell on the narrator and he breaks control of it but uh he's got his own girlfriend and she tries to control her and it's a whole thing and basically it's a narrow escape because she really had the good she she could control people in a way that was astounding it's the secret knowledge that's out there right um hypnotism was big in uh other stories by uh poe Right? What's the sure. um, Metzen Gerstein? I think the Me- name. That's is. the horse one, right? Metzen. Uh, Me- no, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember specifically. I, I just remember a, a hypnosis reference in there. Yeah. Uh, no, there's one um, that's a, a guy hypnotized at the point of death. What's that one called? Uh, fact in the case of M. Valdemar. That's Valdemar. the one, right? Ah, yeah. Right. Yes. So Poe is right up into hypnosis. He knows how it works, or at least knows all about it, right? And I, I get the sense that he's he's been hypnotized. I mean, that's the unreliable narrator, in a certain sense. And it's kind of what you know. They, I see these ads in the old comic books. Is how to get girls right? by hypnosis, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and the 3D, the 3D glasses. Oh, the, the 3D glasses are all sorts of good stuff. Uh, hernia supports, but mostly in these ones that that are um, uh, you know how to get girls uh, to love, fall in love with you. Uh, they uh, they use hypnosis, right? And it doesn't never explains in the ad how you do it, but I get the sense that that's how Poe does it, right? Is that he finds some woman very attractive, um, he writes her letters, he spends time talking to her, writes poems about her, um, and then sometimes they like him. And here it's all done backwards, right? It's the girl who does that to him, so that's why I'm thinking it's it's so he's he's the He's gender flipped it. Very interesting, because he doesn't normally have the 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 fe- the female's usually the object of it, of of mourning, rather than the object of action. Even in like Annabelle Lee, right? I was a child and she was a child in the kingdom by the sea, and we loved with a love that was more than loved. I and my Annabelle Lee. Um, so he's saying we did this and we did that, and then. She got sick, and then some dudes came by, and they took her away to a sepulcher. Oh, I can do the whole thing from memory now. This is sick. <laughs> okay. so And I haven't studied, right? So I'm like, uh, okay. Anyways, the important part is, I think I think it, it's... Uh, I, I'm getting more and more convinced. Disabuse me of this. Why is he not Morella in this story more than Locke or the unnamed husband? 
Jim, you're up. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is your <laughs> That's a very good question. I want It does. I. I think you've taught me round. I think. I, wow. <laughs> okay, maybe somebody in the audience will uh, have a, a point to one fact that'll really knock this down. But I, I, it struck me that this story is very different from a lot of his other stuff, and a lot of people don't. They don't talk about it as the story, you know, to turn to. There, he wrote a ton of stuff, and there's Metzgen Gerstern is one of those ones. Like, a lot of them are very hard to get, because he's doing satire. Or, you know, it's not like a cask of, the Cask of Amontillado. Or, um, oh, for the love of God, Jesse. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I see. I read. I read it recently. I, I guess I hadn't read it before the um, uh, the Mask of the Red Death, and I was totally underwhelmed by by that story because I I see there's stuff going on in it, and then I see what people are saying about what's going on in it, and I'm like, I don't think you're getting it because I'm not getting it because that stuff you're talking about doesn't make any sense. All the colors and the rooms, and I I think there's good stuff in there, but I think he's doing something very specific that. I'm missing, and that everybody else is missing. So maybe I need Mr. Jim Moon to explain that one to me. But um, this one, I, I can see why people don't turn to it. But it's so straightforward and so beautiful, I think they really should. Especially uh, removing that, that uh, poem, or Catholic hymn, that doesn't... It, he does that. He adds a lot of poems to his... his uh, he'll just be writing a story and then Here's the conqueror worm. I wrote this little thing. I don't know to increase the word count or something, but he always takes it out later, and he did that here too. I, I assume that that Catholic hymn is not a real Catholic hymn. I assume that he wrote that. Sound, doesn't sound like one I ever heard in church, but you know, it could be could be you know it's it's 150 years and several states away. So yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it's not. Uh, I, well, I could be wrong, but. He's not worried about I think, I think he wrote it. No, oh, yeah. Probably separately, wasn't it? It must be. That's how he always mm. does it, right? He mm. he, he, he was, he, unlike Lovecraft, he was really canny with trying to get sales, right? He was trying to write to markets all the time. and Movies um, mm. doesn't buy itself. No. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, or, you know, paper to write to girls doesn't. Uh, mm. He was always needing money for sure. But seriously, like, there's um, there's a uh, story he wrote. I'm pretty sure the only reason that story exists is because the magazine he was editing, what they would do is they always incru- include a, um, a print, you know, like um, some etching that somebody had done, and they print that, and that's the sales for the magazine, and then they would have a story associated with it. And, uh, like, I read one one of those issues of... What's, what's the name of that magazine? It's like the American Blackwood sort of magazine. Anyways, the the whole issue has it starts with a picture, and then somebody somewhere in the issue somebody writes about that picture, and there's one called the Science of Kissing that is absolutely hilarious and super super uh, Me Too movement <laughs> worrisome oh, stuff, but it's super funny um, because it's just a giant essay about how it'd be great to be Turkish because they really know how to kiss. Something like that. <laughs> Sm- <laughs> smoking our uh, smoking our um, hookahs and uh, riding horses and uh, slaying people with our curved swords and also great kissers. Uh, just crazy thing. And the only... They make giant, great taffy also. Yeah. 
uh, oh yeah and Turkish delight all sorts of good stuff uh, but a lot of it's also like they don't the guy doesn't know anything about Turkey other than what he's read in his magazines right but the, this whole picture this whole essay only exists because they have a picture called the kiss right and there's another issue called the island of, or another issue with a picture that Poe wrote a story for called the island of the fae and the story I, I'm convinced only exists because he had this picture that he you know is from some etching in europe it's like a copy um and he just describes what's going on in it and turns it into a prose poem so he he's totally changing it for the market he's trying to be as upscale as possible and as he sees you know this doesn't help the story and also i don't need to have the word count as high i can drop this bit <laughs> i wonder if it was as practical as that or if i think it good. must be because most of the other changes are are like um, just tiny changes, like just changes. Uh, I've got like lots of examples of um, foreseen is changed to foretold, uh, you is changed to thou, you know, and not like consistently, just here and there. Uh, the the word oh here, one version, the original version. What demon urged me to breathe that sound, which in its very recollection was wont to make ebb the purple blood in tides from the temples to the heart. That whole sentence exactly the same, but he removes, uh, he, he had originally, and flow, ebb and flow. So the ebb of the purple blood to the tides of the temples of the heart is, um, is the loss, right? It's dying, whereas ebb and flow is just movement. And he's like, oh, this doesn't help it, take that out, right? Uh, just tiny little changes. Um, uh, this one near from near the end. Uh, yeah, from near the end. Um, distinct, coldly, calmly distinct. He doesn't take out the repeat. He likes the repeat. I love the re repeat. Like a knell of death. Horrible, horrible. Sank the eternal sounds within my soul. That's the original. And then he changes it to distinct, coldly, calmly distinct. Uh, fell into my brain. Horrible, horrible death. Death. Horrible, horrible death. So he just changes the knell to fell, right? And of course she just fell. So it's a, it's a, not, a tiny little polish, um, which I think probably helped it. It's it's not it doesn't change the the massive substance of the story like cutting out that uh, that. Catholic hymn. That, that Catholic does. hymn, but but it but it, it's it, it it's a it's an iterative process of refining, 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 refining. Mm -hmm. And so the version you you're reading, Wayne, I'm pretty sure is the the final version during his life. Um, probably the the one definitive version that you want to go with. Well, that was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, this original these originals they just have the Greek right in the middle of the text too, like. Uh, so it says, the wild pantheism of Fichte, the modified of the Pythagoreans, because it's all in Greek, I can't read that, right? Uh, yeah, I, uh, for, uh, for that and for the, uh, um, for the epigraph from uh, the symposium, uh, I, I don't read Greek, but I thought it was a cool little thing, so I wanted to leave it in, so... Uh, I did some research. Oh, I don't did. know how. It, it how, sounded I don't, great. I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how well I did. If, if someone 
speaks Greek, maybe they can correct me, but uh, I just did uh, some research on, okay, here's the Greek letters. How do you pronounce them? <laughs> if you put them together, and I assembled it into a sentence and wrote it out phonetically so that I could read it. But yeah, it I don't remember, good. remember what it is now, but uh, yeah, little touches like that from Poe, uh, you know, he, you know, he was a, a maniac on uh, style and form. Oh, yeah. uh, if you've, you've ever read, uh, somewhere I read, I don't remember what it was, maybe one of you guys know, um, uh, sort of, I read a, an explanation of how he constructed uh, the raven, for example. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's the philosophy of composition. Amazing. And, and man, yeah, it was like there's not a syllable in that poem that is not there for some uh, some reason, you know, that uh, I mean, not even having anything to do with the meaning of the content of the words, but just uh, just for the uh, so that it all all fits his his theory of composition. And and, and he's right. He's, th- he knocks it out of the park. That certain sad and certain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me. Right. How can you beat that? That's the susurration, right, that he was talking about a second ago. It's amazing. He he blows everybody out of the water. That's why everybody hates him, other than the fact that he also says everybody else's writing sucks, except for Hawthorne, (laughs) right? He also, everybody, you know what they called him, his nickname was, um, uh, in the literary circles? He was the hatchet man. Wow. Oh, Tomahawk, that's what they called him, Tomahawk Poe, because he was... He was scalping everybody. Wow. <laughs> um, he was hated by his peers. Uh, those who didn't admire him um, hated him because he was ruthless. He was saying exactly what's wrong with their stuff and why it sucks. And he made his reputation. That he collected a lot of scalps that way. Um, oh. Now, I, I want to, uh, before we wrap, I want to talk about that quote at the beginning because I'm a little bit familiar with the symposium. I read it when I was in university many, many, many years ago. Um, what I remember, I, I was trying to find that quote because it's not, it's not in any of the versions I've seen exactly, but I, I, I know approximately where it is. I just can't find it in the, in the word search uh, for it. But do you, uh, do you remember it fairly well, Wayne? Um, so we recorded I, this like I, six I, months I, ago, right? Yeah, I I searched for it in the symposium and I couldn't find uh, any specific combination of any of the words from the translation mm-hmm. that actually appear in the translation or the symposium I was reading. But I think, if I'm not uh, uh, mistaken, what it was referring to in uh, it, the whole thing itself by itself solely one everlasting and single right. somewhere in the symposium that concept of the greatest knowledge being uh, knowledge that uh, uh, of, of of personal identity and the form of beauty. I mean, I'm, I'm being very general, but mm-hmm. uh, it seems to me that that's how it appears. It's like w- one of the aspects of eros is is the um, the the ability to. Uh, I don't know. Help me. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, the, the, the ability to uh, establish uh, some kind of personal—I want to say identity, but it's not really identity. Just the—I don't know. The 
Fuck, what am I saying? I I and I I got I got some I got what you said at the first time I think um, it's definitely there it, it, you know the, what the French call an orgasm right it's the little death <laughs> <laughs> um, petit mort um, yeah. which is cute um, but when I when when I came away from the symposium the 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 one that most people take away is is kind of interesting because it fits i think what's going on in here and you didn't quite uh mention it so i want to make sure everybody knows about this um so this is uh from aristophanes part of the the symposium and he's the guy who made fun of uh uh socrates right in his plays um all right see if i can find the right house uh those men who are halves of a being of the common sex which is which was called, as I told you, hermaphrodite, are lovers of women, and most adulterers come from this class, as do women who are mad about men and sexually promiscuous. Women who are halves of a female whose direct, who direct their affections towards women and pay little attention to men, lesbians belong to this category. But those who are halves of male and who pursue males... So this is these guys talking about, um, you know, all the different kinds of, of attraction, right? And... They, remember, they're Greeks, and nothing's off limits, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I believe uh, Socrates picks up. Is it Socrates in here or Plato? Does, oh, yes, Socrates. Socrates picks this up. I'm pretty sure it's Socrates. Um, and he says that women and men used to be one creature. Um, I'm just going to go from a separate website here. It says... Each one long oh no this is Aristophanes it says each one long for its other half and so they would grow their arms about each other weaving themselves together wanting to grow together so uh, Plato the guy who wrote this symposium right he's got this theory is that a long time ago before the gods punished us uh, uh, we were whole units basically uh, a sphere right and we were all cool with that everything was cool. Um, and then we did something to offend the gods, and they punished us by breaking us up into male and female um, and uh, ripping us apart, right? And so the way uh, love and eros can be uh, reachieved is in coming together so that we become whole, a single unit. The beast with two backs, if, if Lovecraft were writing it, right? Uh, except he wouldn't go, he wouldn't deign to say that anyways the important part is that's when we feel like we are together and integrated right um and that idea that humans used to be a creature with a hermaphrodite hermaphroditic creature which were together unified um is why we seek a soulmate we're looking for our other half or as they say in you know the old uh, comics, they would say my the better half or my better half, right? Is that y- they're a unit, a, a husband and wife, are the ones who are destined to return back to each other, and in their uh, coming together, they make babies, etc. Here, if we take that idea and look at the quote itself alone, by itself, eternally one and single, um, it's what is the it in itself? It's a being, I would say, right? Or uh, the I, here, identity alone, 
by identity eternally one and single uh, doesn't work, but a being alone by itself e- eternally one and single. It's um, it's hard. It's it's hard to uh, know what he means there. Yeah, but it, it's it a kind of goes along. Are, it kind of goes along with the, the 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 thing about you know if you achieve the um, uh, perfection of appreciation of of beauty that eros is supposed to supply right. you, then you will be uh, you know you will be unifying unifying your existence with that which is the beautiful you know what i'm saying right uh, right exactly yeah. right and and that's why you seek out beautiful people right is you say oh she's sexy uh why is she sexy uh well that doesn't matter she's sexy and when you unify um you feel like you're going to get happy right you're going to achieve the 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 beautiful and what's interesting is i get the sense that morel is not beautiful Right, that she uh, has a beautiful mind, <laughs> but not a beautiful body or a beautiful face, anyways. And then that um, attraction is overcome by uh, her mind. But in a sense, she lives on, um, but only in in the mind, only in the um, regard of the narrator and if you look think of it that way um poe is immortal but only as long as there's people to read his stuff right if it's sitting moldering in a cavern under the earth in a locked safe and the earth has been denuded of all humans then poe's dead right i don't think that's what uh, he he was concerned with though it seems to me he was concerned with like uh you know that's that's the horror that's the horrificness of it uh, the the possibility that uh, existence is not continued i don't know maybe that's just me no i, I think that that's the th- that's absolutely the theme of lovecraft right that's what he's doing in the thing on the doorstep he's absolutely doing that but i, I think i think who is who is it said that this is a symbolist story is it jim moon yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean normally when he does these stories, he's sad and sad about the loss of a loved loved one, right? And sometimes, like in Eleonora, he pr- makes a promise never to marry anyone else, and then he marries some other uh, lady, and then uh, the ghost of her comes back on a certain night, and it says it's okay. <laughs> Most of the time, it's like those things are punished, right? In that particular one, uh, he's forgiven. Um, and she, it's not even like the woman is re, a, an exact replacement of her, like it would be in this case. Um, but it's—I don't know. I—I I think he's fine with killing himself. Like I—I—I I, I, I was also thinking instead of this being him writing a, writing a, or giving a explanation to a psychologist in the insane asylum, it could also be a suicide note. You know, this is why I—I I did it. Interesting. Maybe. Doesn't say. There's no evidence one way or the other in this particular case. But um, he loves to play with the um, with the formatting. You know that the great great poem uh, poem oval portrait. It's a prose poem. Um, it had uh, in its original um, version. It had a whole sequence at the beginning that explains how they came. To, how the narrator came to be wounded 
and that there was the bandits and they ran and they escaped to this place. He just cut that all out because it doesn't add to the symbolism, right? That that story only has the massive reson- resonance that it has because of its it's it's a message, right? What the message is is not exactly clear, but it's it's the author making a beautiful message. The the events are less important than the uh, the the creation of that image, a beautiful beautiful image. Yeah, there, and there, there's a lot of things he he does, uh, uh, particularly in this story, where um, there, there are details of it that uh, he doesn't discuss. You know, it could be interpreted uh, one way or another way, and it it seems to not matter to the the actual. Um, telling of the story itself mm-hmm. uh so he leaves he leaves that up to the reader to decide for himself like you know there's a, there's a lot of uh let me find it in the last paragraph uh what um i can't find it right this exact second but he's like what what, what demon urged me to say the name of you know morella mm. when he was baptizing what demon urged me to that to breathe that sound? As I put it, um, now uh, are we supposed to uh, take that as you know? Li- did literally uh, a, a demon uh, inspire him to do that, or is, or is that just you know hyperbole? Is that well, uh, but demon that also has this. Uh, I don't see the word demon in here, but I, uh, the the fact that you've chosen it is is exactly in keeping with what I do see here. Which he's, I think he says spirit somewhere. But a demon is also another word for your spirit, right? The mo- thing of motivating, yeah. motivation. Mr. Jim Moon can probably speak to this more than me. Well, that was a classical idea because, you know, demon is, was just originally a more neutral term for a personal spirit. Uh, Socrates had his demon, which we would sort of say was his kind of his muse, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, there's another yeah, there's um, a Greek version of it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's spelled with their. Uh, an A and an E conjoined. Mm-hmm. It's um, also a program today that's running in the background. Uh, the de- daemon or demon. That's right, yeah, yeah. And that's how our brains work too, right? Is that you... <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Greeks were... They had they knew it all. They just... Um, that's why atoms and demons and all that stuff are still around. They're just, they've added some baggage to themselves as they've gone. Um, I'm trying to find that spot now. and I, I, where, where does he say the word... Okay, here. Um, what fiend spoke from the recesses of my soul when amid those dim aisles and in the silence of the night I shrieked within the ears of the holy man the syllables Morella? Question mark. What more than fiend convulsed the features of my child and overspread them with the hues of death as staring, starting at that sound, she turned her glassy eyes from the earth to heaven and falling prostrate on the black slabs of the ancestral vault responded, I am here. What a shocker, right? That ending, I am here. was like, oh yeah, that's me. It's been me the whole time. Or, (laughs) and then she dies, right? Instantly. But notice she had her eyes on the earth and then they turned to heaven. And falling prostrate on the black... So is she falling backwards? Hmm, evidently. Right? It's, 
And that's, that's another that's that's another brings up another question too from that segment. Um, you know, it it, uh, it ends in the very last sentence um, that when he was uh, carrying the body of uh, the now dead child to her tomb, he found no traces of the first body, the first Morella, right, in the tomb. What happened to the body? Yeah, so uh, I want to come back to this, and I I mean I. It turns into a stupid ghost story if the body doesn't exist, right? Like, that, so it can't be that you know they always dispense with that in the adaptations. Um, but I was thinking about how um, it's buried underground, and the and she says, uh, "My baby will take over," you know, and she's going to screw up your life and blah blah blah. <laughs> or yeah, my child, our child, right? Um, I was thinking about all the vegetation um, stuff that's in here, and I was thinking, like, planted from a seed, right? And how uh, she she grows up, um, but she resembles her mother. Um, it's almost like there's a couple of Lovecraft stories like that, where you've got uh, the roots going deep into the house cellar, where there's been dead bodies growing down there. Oh, there's a poem called The House. Um, who knows what uh, juices they suck, I think is something like the line. Um, what horrible juices they suck. It's almost like she, as she has grown, as the second Morella has grown, uh, the body has withered away into nothing. And it finally disappeared. And 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 I, thinking about he's going to lay her down there, right? Is that the end of the, it has to be the end of the cycle, right? It's a, it, that, and that's why I think of her as a failure. She's a lich who who failed because she wanted to live forever. She wanted to live on. That's why she's reading this poetry, uh, this um, philosophy, and she she thought she had all the right stuff. Then she gets sick, and she uh, conceives either on her own or with the help of her husband, and the. The new body lives until the point where she's named. Yeah. And notice we yeah, don't I'd... name girls after their moms, right? They all, we we name dudes after after their dads, but we don't normally name women junior. But no, we generally don't because you know the whole idea of inheritance in the male line. So it's like the, the no, son but, is. No, but uh, the first name even, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah, D- Donald Trump Jr. Because the heir, the heir to Donald Trump. I mean, we generally don't think women as that sort of matriarchy. Yeah, but like, it's not Melania Jr., right? Right. Or what? Wait, right. Melania and, the and, wife and, or the daughter? I can't remember. Ivanka. No, no, Ivanka's the no, daughter. But, yeah, right. Ivana, whatever. Yeah, so I guess they're right. similar. Whatever. Right. So right. So yeah, it's just not something our society do. You can imagine a secondary world society where that works, but that's not our world. Mm-hmm. But um, he names her Morella. Because it's the right name for her. He never. He's even been a terrible dad, right? Luckily, she she was self sufficient. This kid <laughs> probably make cooking the meals in that house, Because right? he he doesn't even he doesn't even bother to name her. Doesn't even consider naming her until she's ten years old. Yeah, that's nuts. And uh, I hadn't noticed that before, which you just mentioned. Uh, she's kind of a uh, uh, failed in her ultimate purpose. Oh yeah, uh, that's because... that's so. What's so striking about the end is she 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 lives longer, but not 
what she wanted. She doesn't have a full life. It's a tragedy because unless she, unless you go the route what they did on the movies, um, she's not evil, right? She's just uh, a tragic figure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she goes from I am here, holy cow, I made it to. Yeah. Oops, she died. Rats foiled again, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and it, and yeah, going back to what Mr. Jim Moon was saying about the naming, right? The naming of names and getting power. Um, it's almost like the spell is broken by the naming of the name and that she can no longer exist. If he had just, you know, given her another name, <laughs> that's probably the plan. And she should have just said... Dude, when I was guiding your hand, you didn't see the part about saying you have to name me something else. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read the small print in That's those press word right. texts. God damn it! Now I'm dead. It, it's a lich story, right, Mr. Jim Moon? I'm I'm right about this, aren't I? I'll I'm definitely not... go along with that. Yes, okay, good. A... Mm. Yeah, uh, as is uh, the thing on the doorstep. It doesn't. I don't think it ever says lich in there, does it? Maybe it does. Only probably with the. Uh reference to the actual corpse in Thing of the Doorstep. Right, right. My friend was now a bullet-riddled lich, I think. Okay, okay. Crops up in it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a fabulous story. And I love how concise it is. And yet it has so much richness and depth in a way that you don't, like, can you think of another story that's three pages long that does this much work? <laughs> uh, very few. Very. Well, I did on my show. I found it a very, even though it was short, it was a very dense story to read, and um, there's lots to unpick. And I think it's so effective because, unlike a lot of his other, um, where I think of his dead wife stories, mm-hmm. he's not invoking the gothic. He's not invoking doomed romance. He's he's going for something different, and um, you know, it's exactly as long as it. It has to be. Mm-hmm. It's it's only short, but there is, as you say, so much in there. Yeah, it, it does. It does have the gothic, but oh, that's what they're reading, right? That's not what they're in. The, mm-hmm. Their text. Uh, when I first read that, the dross of early German literature, I didn't think um, philosophy, which is what they later talk in the next lines they talk about in the next paragraph they talk about, right? Uh, Fichte or two paragraphs down. But I was I think that this is gothic stuff. This is got German. The Germans were really the inventors of gothic stuff, right? The gothic literature, romance. Uh, I don't know. That's a uh, uh, Hugh Walpole. Yeah, wrote the uh, recognized first uh, g- gothic story. But I know there was translations of uh, various German romances floating around, uh, including that Phantasmagoria, which would inspire the famous party at Lake Geneva. Mm. Uh, and a, a similar book of tales that inspired a Washington Irving to write the likes of Sleepy Hollow. So, uh, Here's what it says on the Wikipedia mm. entry. German Gothic fiction is usually described by the term Roman, shudder novel. <laughs> However, genres of Gespenterromanl Geistens Roman, ghost novel, <laughs> and rubber novel, and chivalry novel also fre- frequently share plots and motifs with the British Gothic novel. Um, I know that I know that there is a number. There's a actually there in one of the magazines Poe edited. 
there was a lady, a nun in New York, who wrote a bunch of gothic about the haunted castles of the Rhine River. Um, and uh, E.T.A. Hoffman, he's gothic, right? Yes, and yeah. German. Um, in, influenced the the novel The Monk. So I'm pretty sure that this is what. Oh, Undine is that German? Uh, Undine Lorelei. Ah, okay. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking that that's what this part is about, is that the mere dross, because dross is, sh- is shit, right? That's the stuff left over you don't want, um, is sort of dismissed as not being good. Am I correct? Something regarded as worthless rubbish, mm. right? Yeah. Oh, and r- rubber novels, uh, maybe. Dregs is a synonym. So I'm thinking that that's what this line refers to. Um... I soon, however, found that perhaps on the account of her Pressburg education, she placed before me a number of those mystical writings which are usually considered the mere dross of early German literature. These, for what reasons I could not imagine, were her favorite (laughs) and constant study, and in that process of time became my own. Uh, My own should be attributed to the simple but effectual influence of habit and example. So she likes these novels. He... Am I wrong that it's these are novels or stories, anyways, rather I got than the literature? That, I got the impression that that you, they're referring to, uh, you know, philosophy of the day, particularly yes, when he mentioned Schelling? when he mentioned when he mentioned Schelling. I looked that guy up, and he wasn't particularly uh, respected. No, you know, he was he was considered the dross of philosophy. He wasn't considered okay. a, a a serious philosopher because uh, he, you know, he had a lot of. Uh, uh, presuppositions that he just, you know, drew out uh, out of thin air, and anyway. Yeah, and I, I'm not, I, I wasn't familiar with Fichte either um, before this. Um, I'm very familiar with Locke, and Locke is the guy you turn to when you want to get some authority, right? Um, yeah. Which is what he he did write about personal identity and that sort of thing. Um, it's interesting because it, it, it goes against the uh, you know the ship of Theseus. This story has the ship of you know the personal identity as the ship of Theseus is a, a more modern way of, of dealing with it. It's like every cell in your body is replaced, um, every every um, atom and molecule in your body is replaced after just existing for a while, right? Because eating and um, breathing and pooping and uh, taking in new materials and exhaling, all that uh, changes. And that's how we can do carbon dating and stuff. So we don't have a theory that you are uh, your physical body. That theory is bullshit, right? Nobody accepts that. And so we usually go with the ship of Theseus version, which is, you know, uh, the ship sets sail, and as the ship is in the ocean for a long enough time, each part of it is replaced as it rots. And eventually, when the ship returns home from um, its lifetime journey, no part of it is the same piece that left, but all the pieces resemble the original thing. Right. Right. And this is this is um, uh, where her physical form has been replaced with an identical clone, right? And yet she retains and or regains like uh, Plato would have us do in the um, in uh, Socrates's um, uh, let's see um, 
his theory on the idea of the forms, right? The land of the forms is when we when we read uh, when we see a fire or a chair in the reality of our world. Socrates' idea is that we are not learning about fires and chairs, but rather recognizing them from something we knew in a previous life. So I would say that might explain why she is so good at learning stuff and be, being just like her mom, is hanging out in the same house with her dad and reading the same books or having those books around. Like she just sees the title of that book and she instantly, oh, oh yeah, I read that book, right? And so at, when we get to the point in the story where she she knows everything, or she's 10 years old and she's you know up to speed like a, I don't know, 40-year-old lady, um, suddenly uh, she gets that uh, last little piece of the puzzle. Um, I am here. I am Morella. Um, is like overload or something. <laughs> it's like she, it's it's too much knowledge all coming in at once. I'm not sure what. How, how, it doesn't say how she died, right? She just yeah. dies. And as a matter of fact, you get the impression, at least I did, that uh, you know she died right then and there oh, at yeah. the at the baptism. Oh yeah. However, if if you look at the exact wording, there's nothing there that that says no, that. No, it doesn't uh, say. So it, you know, uh, I'm looking at the last sentence now. But she died says, and with uh, my own hands I bore her to the tomb. Like if if her sepulcher is right under that stone she fell on, it wouldn't be much of a trip, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's why I'm thinking it's a big it's a big uh, uh you know, they do bury people under church stones, right? Yeah. So I, I think they're just rich, and it, it takes a while to get to that door. Right, I mean, it's uh, it, the very last sentence says, uh, the last two sentences, the winds of the firmament breathed, but one sound within my ears, and the ripples upon the sea murmured evermore. From that point on, Morella. But she died, and with my own hands I bore her to the tomb, and I laughed, and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say she died right away. I, no. I mean, that could have been it could have been years later, but um, I get the sense she died right away. I, I but we don't, we have no clue that she didn't linger like her mom. Yeah. But I think I think that that it doesn't really even remember. It doesn't even really matter. The point is, is she when she falls to the ground, I am here. I think she's dead. At that instant, and that's not—that's exactly the opposite of what they do in the adaptations, right? They—they they have her slowly transition into her daughter, Leonora. And that's a very different sort of feel. Of it totally is, and 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 this is a beautiful sort of tragedy, whereas those are like she's a she's a Countess Bathgory. <laughs> um, the lady who's killing people in order to exist longer. I, I don't get the sense that there is another person inside of that <clears throat> that daughter. I think that, that it was her from the moment of uh, birth or earlier. And maybe, yeah, that's why the breath thing is so important, right? That when she dies, her daughter's... She breathes her last, her daughter breathes her first. Spirit. Nothing more to be said about this story. We nailed it. I, I, I think we talked about it at length. It was a, it, it, 
I guess I guess you don't agree that it's been nailed. Maybe maybe somebody's gonna come back with uh, definite definitive proof why uh, Morella is not just the Poe avatar in this story. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Indefeatable, undefeatable. <laughs> Thesis for the ages. All right, guys, thank you. No problem. I was grateful. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Okay, here we go. You guys ready? Oh, wait, I haven't got the Wikipedia yet. The Steamship Morello. Mm, I gotta know about that. It looks very, very sad. Cargo ship. Ministry of War Transport. Uh, what happened to it? It's superseded by its own lifeboat. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I just got that joke. <laughs> 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 Which grew incredibly quickly. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it for a second. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go.